It's a wonderful thing. I'm a fan. For this to be a priority of our church means that we will be more than just a fan of adoption. It will mean for some of you that you will answer God's call to adopt. And it means for the rest of us as a congregation that we will cultivate a culture in this congregation. We will weave into the DNA of this church a culture that loves on and supports and cares for adoptive children and adopting families. And it will be part of who we are as a congregation. And so uh, for, for the priority of the church to become my priority, I need to be more than just a fan. It's great that our pastor cares about that. It's great that, that Anthony and Corinne have adopted. It's great that our church cares about that. I would even say that I care about that. It's a, I'm pro-orphan. I'm sympathetic. I'm compassionate. I don't go around hurting vulnerable children. I'm not involved in trafficking kids. Uh, I'm not abusive. I don't take advantage of orphans. I even actually like some children, uh, although after Halloween last night, I'm not so sure, but some children I like. And, um, but listen, here's what, here's what we need to think about. After we've looked at the scriptures that we've looked at already this morning, and after we've thought about Isaiah 1 that we considered last week, here's, uh, I think we can come to an agreement that the things that are on God the Father's heart ought to be on our heart as well. And the things that are on his heart ought to be on the heart of our church. And we are the church. So how does, how does God's heart for the fatherless manifest itself in our church and in your family and in your life? Some of you as married couples have never had the conversation, do you think God would be calling us to adopt? That's just never been on your radar. You've never even had that conversation. It's never entered to your mind that, that God might be be uh, calling you to adopt or calling you to plug into the adoption ministry of this church in some way. But you're a fan. For us to have the priority of this church as our priority, we need to be more than a fan. It needs to be more than just saying, well, I'm for it. I think it's great. It's great that we do that. When really we're saying, I think it's great that y'all do that. <laughs> uh, how does it become our priority? It, it means, first of all, that we need to be more than a fan. Secondly, we need to see the need. It'll never be a priority for you and for me until we see the need. There is a global orphan crisis. And you saw some of the numbers on the video. 153 million orphans in the world. If they were their own country, they'd be the fifth largest country on the planet. You talk about from a missions perspective, an unreached people group. The orphan is one of the greatest unreached people group because many of these orphans are in very forsaken and forgotten places. Many of them are not getting care that they should get. Many of them will never have a forever family. Most of them will never have a forever family. At Lifeline, the ministry I work for, we provide international adoption in about 20 different countries. But the vast majority of those 153 million orphans are never going to be adopted. There's never going to be a family who will step up and say, I will take that child as my son or my daughter. And many of these children are in orphanages because their family or their culture considers them a curse. Maybe they were born with some kind of abnormality. Maybe they were born with what some would call a defect or a special need. And in some cultures... That's considered a curse. How do you get rid of a curse in your home? 
In this case, you get rid of the child. Sometimes you get rid of mama too. But you get rid of the child and you send them to an orphanage because they're unwanted, they're broken, they're defective, they're a curse. And the gospel-centeredness of the church should be that we would go to vulnerable children and we would call what the world calls a curse, we would call it, no, 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 that's my son, that's my daughter. I will be their family. And it's, it's diametrically opposed to how the world views these children. The vast majority of these kids will never have that happen. The vast majority of, of orphans around the world are going to age out of whatever system they're in, whether it's a foster system or an orphanage system. And the statistics for those kids are devastating. And I can, I can tell you the statistics. The statistics are that 80% of the girls who age out of orphanages around the world end up being trafficked. 70% of the boys end up being trafficked. Terrorism cells, Boko Haram and ISIS and uh, others are preying on aging out orphans as primary recruiting centers. Homelessness incarceration, addiction, a 10 to 15% suicide rate of kids who age out of orphanages. The stats for these kids are not good. At Lifeline, our executive director is a guy named Herbie. <laughs> and Herbie was in the Ukraine one time talking in an orphanage, talking to an orphanage director. They looked out the window and they saw an 18-year-old girl walking through the iron gate of that orphanage. She carried a, a plastic garbage bag with her and she walked out the gate the gate shut behind her she's on the sidewalk and a van drives up guy gets out of the van has a conversation with her the two of them get in the van and drive off the orphanage director says to Herbie you know what just happened and he said well I think I do and he said when they turn 18 legally we're not allowed to keep them anymore we have to send them out everything that they own is in a plastic bag they have about the equivalent of 20 U.S. dollars in their pocket. They'll go out on the street and someone will, will stop them and say, where do you work? Oh, I don't have a job. Oh, well, where do you live? Well, I don't, I don't have a place to live. Oh, well, how are you going to eat? I don't really know. Oh, come with me. We provide free housing for our staff. We provide a great salary, great work conditions. Come with me. We'll give you a a tremendous uh, career and future. And that child is swept up into the sex trafficking trade. The statistics are one thing, but the faces and the lives of those children is something else. That girl gets into a van and goes not to a housing or a dorm. She goes to a dungeon. She goes to a dungeon where she's going to be uh, entrapped with addictions, enslaved by addictions, physically enslaved. And she's going to be forced to uh, serve as many as uh, 10 to 12 to 14 clients per day in just unimaginable ways. And... um, Where's the church? 
Herbie realized that day, it's great that Lifeline is doing international adoption. But we have to find a way to serve those kids that are never going to be adopted and are going to age out of that system. And so Lifeline has has begun an orphan care ministry where we're going to orphanages around the world. We're going with the gospel. We're going with life skills and we're going vocational skills. We're partnering with the local church there on the ground and local business leaders on the ground. Let me give you one example. In Uganda, uh, in Uganda, if you're born deaf, you are absolutely worthless in that culture. They don't even bother to give you a name. They just send you out of the house. You're a street kid now. They Actually, they call you a dog or a fool. They don't even give you a name. But there's a pastor in Busega, Uganda, the pastor of King Jesus Church, Pastor Raphael, who has a real heart for these kids and has begun a school for deaf orphans. Lifeline found out about this guy and about this church and about this school and came alongside and said, how can we help? What can we do to help you serve orphans here where you are? And so... Um, we partnered with some churches here in the States to help provide some funds, but we want to be careful when we do that not to uh, hurt more than we help. <laughs> Sometimes Americans just like to throw money at things and think that the problems will go away. And in fact, many times we cause more problems by making them dependent on Western funds, and then when those dry, dry up, things begin to collapse. So we're trying to build a sustainability project that will allow this school to continue and stand on its own. So we've helped... Pastor Raphael, to start an internet cafe in town. So if you're in Busega, Uganda, and you want to learn internet skills, you will go to this internet cafe. And who do you think will teach you the computer skills you need to know how to work the computer? The ones that you used to call fool and dog. These kids are being trained with IT skills, working in our internet cafe, learning a marketable skill that they'll be able to use when they age out of the orphanage. The proceeds from that internet cafe are going to fund the school so that it becomes a sustainable uh, ministry and, and project. And we're trying to do that in our orphan care projects around the world to make them sustainable. We, we have churches and partners that help launch it and seed it and prepare it and lay the foundation for it, but then create a, a way for it to become sustainable so that kids can, um, can have a future and a hope. One of the ways this becomes a priority is for you and I to begin to see the need Kids that come from hard places. Kids that have been told they are not wanted, they are forgotten and forsaken and a curse. And God has called the church to be the arms and hands and feet of Jesus to wrap around these vulnerable children and say, you're not a curse, you're a blessing. You're a blessing and we want to be a blessing to you. The third way that this becomes a priority for us I believe, is that we need to come to God with, with a blank check. I'm using this phrase from David Platt. Some of you are familiar with David Platt. He's a very good friend of the ministry of Lifeline. Used to pastor in Birmingham where our home office is. Now he's the president of the International Mission Board for Southern Baptists. He wrote the book Radical. Some of you are familiar with that. Or the, used to pastor the church at Brook Hills in Birmingham. Some of you are familiar with that. Some of you are familiar with Secret Church that he does. Um, But uh, David talks about coming to God with uh, a blank check, which basically means, am I willing to do whatever God may be calling me to do? And I'm afraid most of us as Christians never ask God that question. We never come to God with an open hand. We always come to God with an agenda. We already know what we want to do or where we want to head. We're not coming saying, God, wherever you lead, I'll go. If it means to the foreign mission field, 
God, I'm coming with open hands. I'm coming with a blank check. I've already signed it. You just fill in the amount. And I'm willing to obey whatever that might be. And I, through, through the, the uh, wise counsel of my wife and through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, I came to the point in my life where I gave God a blank check when it came to adoption. I said, okay, God, I've signed the check. If this is really what you're calling our family to do, then you fill in the amount. And five years ago, about a month ago, uh, it would be five years, God brought a 10-year-old girl into our home that's now 15. And Cheyenne is, is here with uh, us today, and she's a Wooten now and uh, has meant so much to our family. We have a little five-year-old that's running around. I'm surprised we can't hear him through the wall here, but a little five-year-old that runs around our house now as well. But I just, I just want to encourage us today, are we willing to come to God and say, I've already signed the check, Lord, now you fill in the amount. It may be in regards to singleness. It may be in regard to the mission field. It may be in regard to generosity. It may be in regard to church planting. It may be in regard to adoption. God, you fill in the amount. I've signed the check. I'm yours. Wherever you lead, I'll go. Whatever you're calling me, whatever you're calling our family to do, we're all in. Let's go. You just lead the way. God may very well be calling you and your family to adopt. And some of you hear that and your initial reaction is, nope, he's not. Pretty sure he's not. (laughs) And you've never had that prayer. You've never prayed, God, are you? Are you? My initial response was, nope, he's not. He's not calling us to adopt. We're engaged in orphan care and adoption, but we're helping other families that are adopting and, and helping other kids that are in vulnerable places, but God's not calling us to adopt. And God used some of the verses that we've looked at today to really speak to my heart and address that my own, my own will, agenda uh, being set aside so that I could come to Him with a blank check. We need to ask God those kind of questions. We need to ask, is God calling our family to foster? Is God calling our family to adopt? God, what are you calling me to do with orphans? The verses are very clear that it's not just a select few. God doesn't call everybody to adopt. Did you hear that? You can sigh a little bit if you want, physically slip your shoulders a little bit if you want. God doesn't call everybody to adopt, but God calls all of us as believers to care for orphans. And the prayer must be, God, what does that mean? What does that look like uh, for us? Wherever he leads, I'll go. You say, well, David, I would tell you this. I'm ready. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to adopt, but my spouse is not. What do we do about that? Well, I can tell you that it would be a colossal mistake for you to move forward until you're both on the same page. A colossal mistake. Because adoption is not for wimps. It's not easy. I'm not painting a picture of rainbow and unicorns as the world of adoption, that you're all going to hold hands and skip through fields of poppies and sing Kumbaya. That's not the world of adoption. That's not the distress of the orphan. You've got to be on the same page if God is calling you to adopt. And if you don't and you do proceed and you just cave because it's what your spouse wants to do and you're tired of hearing about it, so okay, 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 we'll do this. Then when those difficult days come, a couple of things are going to happen. The one who wanted to adopt is going to feel like, man, I feel so guilty. I feel so bad that I've brought this difficulty on our family. These are, this is really hard to do. And, and there's guilt there. And the other spouse feels resentment. Never wanted to do this in the first place. Why would you make me do this? But if you're on the same page and those tough days come, then you know this is what God has called us to. And God's callings are good and sweet 
And even in the tough days, we know that we're doing what God has called us to do. Do not proceed if you're not on the same page. You say, well, how do we get on the same page? Because for some of you, the same page, God's will will be that you not adopt. But you need to be on the same page. For others of you, it may be that God is calling you to adopt. But how do you get on the same page? Well, I would, I would recommend two things. One, I would recommend this, that both of you come to the point in your life where you're willing to come to God with a blank check and an open hand and say, God, I'm willing to set my agenda aside and my comfort and my convenience and my fears and my uncertainties about this. I'm willing to set all that aside and come to you with an open hand and a blank check. And, and when both of you are approaching this issue that way, then that begins to move you to the same page. The second thing I would suggest is this. There's nothing that will get the two of you on the same page together concerning this issue, this issue or really any issue, faster, better, stronger than the two of you, listen to me, than the two of you praying together about what is God's will for our family. It may be that one of you are praying, it may be both of you are praying, but I'm telling you the way you get on the same page together as a couple, faster, stronger, better, is to be praying together with an open hand and a blank check. God, what are you calling us to do? We will obey. Direct our steps and we will obey. I'm telling you, nothing gets you on the same page faster. And guys, we have to lead the way in that. We have to be the spiritual leaders in our home and lead the way to lead our wives to say, open hand, blank check. God, what are you calling us to do? Honey, let's pray together about this. Nothing will get you on the same page faster. Number four, you need to know the truth about adoption. For it to be a priority in our church and it to be a priority with you, we've got to explode some of the myths about adoption. And there are a lot of them and we don't have time to cover all of them. We don't have time to cover all the ones that I want to cover today. So let me just touch on a a couple of them. One is there's the myth that you've got to have a lot of money to adopt. Now, I will, I will give you this disclaimer. It is expensive to adopt. Uh, if you're adopting internationally, there's international travel that's involved. There's money you have to pay to the State Department. There's money you have to pay to the foreign government. There's lawyer fees. There's agency fees. There's home study fees. There's social worker fees. There's all kinds of things. It, it is expensive. But, um, and, and most of us say, listen, I don't have tens of thousands of dollars sitting around in my sock drawer. I'm living paycheck to paycheck. I can't afford to adopt. But most Christians are not aware that there are a lot of resources available out there, especially for Christians who want to adopt. There's an a adoption tax credit that's about $13,000 and some change. There are all kind of grants and scholarships that are available for Christian families through groups like Stephen Curtis Chapman's Show Hope, ABBA Fund, Life Song for Orphans, a variety of places that are ready to give Christian families that feel called to do this money to help them fund. There are 0% interest loans that are available for families that say, I couldn't afford this big chunk payment that's due, but if I could break it up into very easy monthly payments without going into debt at 0% interest, I could do that. And then there are all kinds of opportunities to bring the community of faith around you. There, there are things like the Adoption Fund right here at Restoration. And so while adoption can be expensive, in 34 years of, of doing adoption, Lifeline has never had a family back out and say, we've got to stop doing this. This is just getting too expensive. First of all, we've seen where God guides, He provides. And secondly, there are a plethora of resources available to Christian families that are answering God's call to adopt. And we can connect you with those. And a good place to start is right here with our own church's adoption fund. 
another myth is this. You'll never be able to love an adopted child as much as you love your biological children. And I hear that a lot from families who've not adopted. I don't hear that so much from families who have adopted. And because I have seen God open the hearts and homes of adoptive families to receive these vulnerable kids into their lives, to see, to have a front row seat to the gospel at work in their family's life as they are living out in a tangible expression of seeking to do good, to do justice, to defend the fatherless by welcoming this vulnerable child into our home. And the result is tremendous love for this child. Listen, love is not based on biology. Love is based on theology. And when you and I and when we as a church are missional and intentional and understand the gospel and vertical adoption that we've been adopted into God's forever family, our hearts will be wide open for vulnerable children. The problem will not be that you uh, can't love your adopted child as much as you love your biological child. I just can tell you I have not seen that in my experience in adoption and orphan care. Another myth is that uh, adoption is only for those who aren't able to have children biologically. Well, that's just not true. Pepper and I have three boys biologically, and uh, two of them are partners here at Restoration. Uh, and then we've brought Cheyenne and Jacob into our home as well. It is true that God sometimes uses the hard providence of infertility to bring a couple to the decision of adoption. But if we understand the gospel intent of adoption and the missional aspect of adoption, then it explodes this myth that adoption is just for kids or for families who are not able to have kids. It is for all of us. Because, uh, and that leads me, well... Let me get to that myth in a second. Another myth is it takes years and years to complete an adoption. That may be true sometimes. But I read a survey this past week that said um, 76% of domestic adopters and 61% of international adopters were able to adopt in one year or less. That's not always, and there are cases, including our pastors, where it's taken multiple years to get through the adoption process. With Cheyenne, it, it, uh, our process was about six months uh, and so it's different uh, every time. I can't guarantee you that it's going to be quick. I can't guarantee you that it's going to be slow. Uh, but I can guarantee you that, that you'll get through the process if God is calling you to do this. Another myth. Uh, if I'm over 40, I'm too old to adopt. Hey, you're looking at the poster child for being an over 40 adoptive dad. Okay? You do the math of how old I'm going to be when Jacob, who's five now, graduates from high school. It, it's a little scary. So... Uh, <laughs> Break out the insurer and the depends and all that stuff. The next myth. The next myth is that, that adoption will complete you. Man, we're having, we're having problems in our marriage, and maybe the thing that's going to could heal our marriage would be if we were to adopt. Or we've been through the pain of infertility. Maybe the solution to our pain is that we would adopt. Listen, these kids come from hard places. They don't have the, band, the emotional bandwidth to heal a hurt in your marriage or to fill a hole in your heart. So what we as Christians need to look for is not for some child to come and heal our hurt. We need to be missional and intentional. It may be, as I said a minute ago, it may be that God is using the hard providence of infertility in your life to bring you to the point of uh, considering adoption, but that should never be the motive for adoption because adoption is not going to heal your hurt. Adoption is when you, as a child of God, say, we want to bring a vulnerable child into our life to be a forever family for them. 
We at Lifeline are not in the business of finding children for families. We're trying to find families for children. And it's a huge difference. It's not just semantics. It goes to the very heart of why we would do this in the first place. And so another myth, uh, very quickly, is that, you know, what if I adopt this child and later the biological parent comes back and says, hey, I changed my mind, I want my child back. It just, the way the laws are written, it just can't happen. And if you've heard, you, yeah, but I heard about this story we don't believe everything you hear. Here's the only way that a biological parent could ever come back and try to make a case to reclaim their child. If that parent could prove, if that biological parent could prove that they were forced to sign their adoption consents under duress, against their will, forced to sign when they didn't want to, and relinquish the right, their parental rights to that child, then they would have a case in, course, in, in court. We've never seen it in 34 years at Lifeline. And one of the reasons we've never seen it is because we care for the birth mothers that we work with. We love on them. We share the gospel with them. We help resource them to where if parenting is a possibility, we want to try to make that happen in their lives. We're not just saying, hey, give us your baby, give us your baby. We're trying to love on these women and care for these women and serve them. And so if you're working with the right partner through the adoption process, it's, it's a myth and a fear that you don't have, to, don't have to worry about. Another myth is that, man, these kids that are being adopted have such severe special needs. There's just no way that I could, um, that I could, you know, deal with that. Well, there are many adoptable children that have special needs. Matter of fact, I was at a a burger joint in in Georgia uh, last summer. We were out on the deck on the patio. It's a wooden deck out at this restaurant. And there was one of our lifeline families there with their, with their kids and their family. One of the girls from China is running around on the deck and, um, she just at the end of her legs just has stubs, no feet, just stubs. And she's running around on that deck and it was summertime and the wood was hot. And I'm talking to the dad and she's kind of hopping around and he laughed and he said, yeah, she, she, her feet are hot because she left her, she left her feet in the car. I'm thinking, okay, that's not a, that's not a sentence you hear every day. My daughter left her feet in the car. And I'm thinking, this amazing family has taken this precious little girl that her culture said, you're a curse, you're not wanted. And he has said, no, you're my daughter. And there is a whole spectrum of special needs, from mild to moderate to severe. In some cultures, if you have a birthmark in the wrong place, you're considered a curse. And that's considered a special need. And then it goes all the way to the extreme of very extreme cases that are never going to be curable. Some of these special needs are curable if they could just get to the right medication or get to the right medical procedure, which we have here in the States that they may not have in that country. And so... um, there's a whole range of special needs. Well, let me close with this. The fifth way, the priority of this church becomes our priority, and it's just, it's just a words on a document if that doesn't happen, is that we start with one. We start with one, which is kind of the theme of, of the video. What is one thing that you can do to build adoption and orphan care into the DNA of this church? You say, well, that's, that's the pastor's job. No, that's our job. We're the body of Christ. And he can't create the DNA of this, of this church. We are all part of the culture of this church. How do you and I help foster that heart for vulnerable kids in the life of this church? How does, what is one thing that we can do to build adoption, orphan care into the rhythm of this church and into the rhythm of our family and into the rhythm of our lives? You may not be able to rescue 153 million orphans. You may not be able to adopt a lot of kids, but what one thing can you do? What one thing will you do? And I would suggest some of the things that we touched on last week. One is you can pray. 
You can pray for the adoption ministry of this church. You can begin to pray specifically that God would raise up families to adopt. Jesus said it this way, the, the fields are widened to harvest. The harvest is plenty of, plentiful, but the labors are few. So what did he say? Get up and go harvest. Get up and go adopt. No, he said pray. Pray that God would raise up laborers for the harvest. There's a global orphan crisis. Our church can begin to impact it as families adopt. And so the first thing we can do is not just rush out and fill out an adoption application. The first thing we can do is pray. God, give our church a heart for adoption. God, call out families from our church that would bring vulnerable children into their homes and be a forever family for them. We can begin to pray. Pray about what your role needs to be in caring for orphans at Restoration. And I would, it's so easy to throw that out there and say, yeah, we ought to pray for that. But unless you find a way to deliberately and systematically pray for orphans, it's going to drop off your radar and we're not going to do it. So if I could be so presumptuous, let me give you a good starting point. At Lifeline, we do a prayer call on the third Thursday of every month during the lunch hour, 15 minutes. You call in or you periscope in and for 15 minutes, we're praying about some aspect of orphan care together. And you just log on and somebody leads us in prayer and you're agreeing in prayer. You don't have to say anything. Nobody even knows that who you are, that you're on. But you are deliberately, intentionally finding a way to pray. You're welcome to join us for that call every month. Another way Pastor mentioned last week was not only to pray but to share. Uh, we need to advocate. We need to, to speak up. We need to uh, be engaged in orphan care. And you can do that in a variety of ways. You can do that through your social media. You can do it through the emphases that the church has. Um, you can serve aging out orphans. You can defend orphans by partnering with orphanages overseas where they can find shelter and safety and training and equipping and a future and a hope. You can give. You can give to help fund Restoration's Adoption Fund because if we're praying that God would raise up families to adopt and He answers that prayer, they're going to need resources to help cover the expenses of that adoption. And so we need to be praying with one hand and giving with the other hand to our adoption fund here at Restoration because we are believing that God will answer this prayer. And some of you sitting here today are going to be an answer to that prayer and we want to make sure that we are resourcing you to pursue God's call for your life. Others of you need to give to ministries like Compassion. We support children through this church, through Compassion International, and some of you need to to be a sponsor for a child or give to to ministries like Lifeline, or you need to invest financially in caring for orphans. And then opportunities to go. My prayer is that in the days ahead we'll be able to partner together and we'll be able to go to... Uh, on short-term trips to orphanages to care for kids, hands-on, tangible, front-lines, missions work of caring for orphans. If this is something that, that you have a heart for and you're a community group leader, I would love to continue the conversation. Maybe we could come and sit in on one of your community group meetings and just talk about what does this look like for our community group to care for orphans in a tangible way uh, to, to advance the ministry of adoption at Restoration. What can our group do to do that. would love to continue that conversation. But let it be said and let it be known that this church shares God the Father's heart for vulnerable children because we understand the gospel and the implications of the gospel. And we are ready to carry the gospel to the nations through the platform of adoption and orphan care. Let's pray together. 
Father, unless you do a work in our hearts, our tendency is to be stained by the world, as James said in James chapter 1. Our tendency is to to pursue our convenience, our comfort, uh, our agenda. Uh, We're just wired that way because of our sinful nature. It's so against us to naturally come to you with an open hand and a blank check and say, wherever you lead, I'll go. What are you calling us to do? What are you not calling us to do? We just want to be obedient. So I pray for our church. I pray for those who provide leadership and and seek to steer us towards your heart for vulnerable children. I pray that it would be part of the DNA and culture of our church. I'm thankful that it is a priority that's listed in some of our church documents, and we talk about it regularly, and we have these these times every year where we can focus on it. But God, move on the hearts of your people and this congregation that it would be part of the identity of who we are, that we would be so gospel-centered that it would be reflected in our heart for the fatherless. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.